0: It says in verse one, early in the morning, Joshua and all of the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since You have never been this way before. Heavenly Father, we are facing a year that to many of us seems just like another year. We have plans. However, Lord, we've never been that way before. It's unknown to us. We really don't know what the future is going to bring in its totality. Therefore, Lord, this morning we as a body dedicate the next year to Your glory. And right now, we ask, Lord, we give You the permission to reign over our tomorrows. The weeks and the days and the months of this next year are Yours. Lord, You know what lies ahead of us, but we've never been this way before. We commit it to You in Jesus' name. Amen. Americans are an interesting group of people in that Throughout the year, we complain about our condition and we bemoan the world problems as we hear them night after night on the television. And then New Year's, we celebrate the fact that we have another year. Woo, all right, a new year, great. Maybe that's because there's this inkling of hope deep down inside of us that says it might be better this next year. Some things might change. The world condition may improve. It could be that there's a ray of hope that causes us to have hope for the next year. The new year is a time of review. This week is traditionally a time where we think back over the last year, what we've done, our life passes before us in review, and more than that, we think ahead, don't we? And we have, some of us, New Year's resolutions. We decide that we're going to do something or alter our behavior. We're going to go on a diet that we've been meaning to do for the last several months. But it's New Year's Day. Friday, we're going on that diet. Or we're going to drop that habit that we've had for so long. I have come to a resolution about New Year's resolutions. I have resolved not to have any. I trust much more in the Lord's ability to keep His promises than for me to keep my promises. But there are certain things that I prioritize. Rather than a resolution, it's a priority list. Things that are the most important that I will give heed to above all. We turn to Joshua 3 because there is an analogy. Israel is on the threshold of a brand new experience. She has been wandering through the desert for 40 years. And now there's two and a half million people that are by a river ready to go over into Canaan. Canaan, the land they've been wanting to go into for a long time. That word Canaan has been on the lips of these Jews for 40 years. And now they're camped by the river. They look on the other side. They can see it. Finally, it's here. All of those years, all of the stories that mom and dad were telling us. And now we can see Jordan. It's... It's ahead of us. We can see the land of Canaan, Jericho. It's right on the other side. But there's one major problem. There is a natural stop sign in front of them. An obstacle called a river. I'm not talking about a mountain stream. I'm talking about a full-on, brown, ugly river. The Jordan River. And it's overflowing its banks at this time. And to get from this side to that side, you have to go over the river. And there's no toll bridge at this point, they're facing, in a sense, an impossible obstacle. We are facing 1988. Folks, I never thought we'd make it this far. I really didn't. And years ago, I thought the Lord had come back by 1982. But we're facing 88, and in all reality, unless the Lord tarries between now and Friday, you're going to see it. We've never gone that way before. We're on the threshold of a new experience. We're crossing over, as it were, into a whole new territory, a brand new land. And there is an analogy and symbolism between the land of Canaan and what we experience this next year. You know, traditionally, the land of Canaan and crossing over the Jordan has been seen as heaven. Uh, some of the hymns that have been sung have described Jordan as death and the land of Canaan as heaven. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. I look on the other side of Jordan and I see a band of angels coming for to carry me home. The land of Canaan in the Scripture is not symbolic of dying and going to heaven because if it is, you've got a big problem. The problem is, as soon as they crossed over the Jordan River, there were enemies. Battles. All sorts of problems and obstacles. Now, we're not going to face that when we go home to be with the Lord. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions, not many army tanks. We're not going to fight when we get to heaven. It's going to be an eternity of rest and enjoyment with the Lord. And so we don't look to hymns to find out what this means. But the New Testament, it's just like in school. The answers are always in the back of the book. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that the land of Canaan represents a victorious life now. It is a goal, not in the future in heaven, but it's something that we should be entering into now in our experience with the Lord. There is therefore now a rest to the people of God, and he that enters into his rest must cease from his own works, just as God ceased from his. Just as Egypt... And the deliverance from Egypt was preparatory for the children of Israel entering into Canaan. God delivered us from our past, from sin, from the old life, and that was in preparation for now. This is the point I want to get across. God did not deliver us from our past sins so we could die and go to heaven, period. Now that is a goal that He has for us. He'll bring us through this life, This life will end and He has an eternity in store for His people. But, God has a lot more in store for you than just heaven. If that were God's only goal for you, the moment you raised your hands and said, Lord, I accept you, I want to be a Christian, you'd plop over dead. But God wants to use you and bring you into experience of His life now. The land of Canaan is not something by and by, pie in the sky. It's something that you and I can enter into now in this life. I can't read your thoughts. But as you look back, in 1987, and you look ahead to 1988, some of you, no doubt, have had a tough year. Some of you have had a great year. A lot of great things have happened. Maybe a new child. Maybe you've gotten married. Maybe a promotion. I don't know. Others of you, it was the pits. And you're standing at the Jordan looking over thinking, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for the parting of the waters. I want something different. I'm ready for 1988. Whatever situation you've come out of, you and I stand Looking at uncharted territory. We've never gone this way before. And as you look into the next year, there are things that are definite and that are certain. There's things you can hang your hat on that you can be assured of. But there are other things that are uncertain. There are uncertainties in your future and my future as well as certainties. The uncertainties. Israel was about to enter a new land that they've never been before. There was all sorts of questions that were on their mind. Now it's not recorded in chapter 3, but it's recorded in some other chapters in the Bible. Questions like, what's Canaan going to be like? You know, we're used to the desert. We're used to sand and wind. No trees and wandering in tents. What's Canaan going to be like? And what are the people like? Are they nice? What kind of questions do you have? Probably questions like, well, what, what is 88 going to bring? Um, who's going to be president? What's going to happen in November's election? Uh, what about the interest rates? Are they going to drop? Are they going to rise? Or what about the Israelis and the Palestinians? Are they going to continue to fight? What's the outcome going to be? What about my personal life? Am I going to get a transfer? Am I going to move anywhere? Am I going to face an obstacle this year? that I won't be able to handle? What will I say next year at this time when I review 1988? What's it going to be like? There's just no way that you and I can answer those kind of questions. There are certain things, but a lot of your future is totally unknown to you. There's just no way you can know it. Now, you'd love to know it, wouldn't you? Oh, I wish I could know exactly what's going to happen. Would you really? Think about it. I doubt it. One in five Americans believe in astrology. And we made some phone calls this year in Albuquerque and found out just how many people are involved in wanting to know their future. There's ten metaphysical bookstores in Albuquerque one of them we called has 12 readers they read tarot cards crystal balls they read your palms they do channeling and they said that each session people pay big bucks it's 50 bucks a session people are paying big dollars to find out what their future is going to be like so they can plan accordingly there was a full page ad in the newspaper Promising you can know your future one year in advance with the help of a computer. Who would want to know? What if in eight months someone close to you is going to die? Do you want to know that now? Oh yeah, I want to be prepared. I don't. Not eight months in advance like that. It would be too overwhelming. God in His goodness withholds that kind of information because it would crush us. That's why to not know the future is a blessing. Boy, there's a lot of things that have happened to me that if I would have known them in advance, I would have done my best to go the other way. It would have ruined me. There's just certain things I don't want to know. This summer I was driving to the church. It was a warm summer afternoon. And I was going to the vacation Bible school. And they asked me to speak to the kids. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. Beautiful day. As I'm driving north on I-25, the traffic is plugged up. Now, my natural thought is, those stupid orange barrels, they're doing it again. As I got closer, however, I noticed that not only had our lane slowed, but the left lane had stopped. And in the road was an ambulance. And in the middle of the road was a man who was lying down, his face was covered, and they had him in a neck brace. When you see things like that, you start thinking quickly about the future and how uncertain indeed it is. It was a warm, leisurely, wonderful afternoon. Just another day, but not for this person. Perhaps he started out that way, always driving along, it's a nice day, i got to get to the office. But at that moment, the whole world flipped upside down. It was a calamity. And I think of the truth of Proverbs 27 that says, Do not boast in tomorrow, for you do not know what a day will bring forth. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day will bring forth. I want you to turn to a scripture in the New Testament, the book of James. James chapter 4, please. Verse 13, please. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we're going to go out and do this or that. Go to this city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Now, that's the plans of a businessman. Here's my schedule, my itinerary. This is what I plan to accomplish. Here's my goals. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. Now look at verse 14 again. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Let that penetrate. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Oh, you have plans and they may be carried out or they may not. Man's knowledge is impressive. We can split atoms. We can transplant hearts. We can send men to the moon. We can build computer technology, but when it comes to tomorrow, we fail. We are at a loss. You may be a Ph.D., have an incredibly high IQ, but when it comes to knowing tomorrow, it is still in mathematical terms factor X. It's unknown. You can't know it. You can compute it, you can deduct, you can contemplate, you can predict, but it's still a guess. You don't have to turn to it, but let me read what Solomon said in his book of wisdom in Ecclesiastes. He says, when times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. There's uncertainties about your future. Now, you can be like the apostles who say, well, Lord, is this going to happen now? or Is that going to happen tomorrow? And you can hear Jesus reply when he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has put in his own hand. You and I face uncertainties. Now, we face certainties at the same time. As the the children of Israel and Joshua were looking across the Jordan River, he mentioned several things that they can expect in an unknown land. Uh, Look with me at verse 10. You notice that there's a list of people. It says uh, Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, or Perizzites, excuse me, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Now that's a list of people, people groups that inhabit the land. These are not friendly people. These are foe, enemies. They were hostile to the cause of Israel. And as soon as they would go into the land, they'd have conflict with them. It's going to be a battle time. So Israel, you can expect that when you enter the land, you're going to have a lot of fighting to do. However, the same verse speaks about victory. Read it with me. Verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how that you will know that the living God is among you and that He will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites and all the other ites in that verse. You're going to face enemies. It's definite. You'll have battles. But you'll have victory. Now this happened time and time again. Every time that they went into new territory, there was a new battle. And every time there was a new battle... Each soldier had a lump in his throat. He wondered if he'd ever make it back alive. He kissed his wife and he thought, I may never see you again. Every time he did come home, there was victory. There was battles and there was victory. Now, where are they camped at this point? They're camped at the Jordan River, aren't they? That is not exactly a normal day, is it? To face an impossible situation like a Jordan River. What I'm saying is that to cross the Jordan River at flood time, as it says later on in these verses, is impossible. The river is overflowing its banks. They have to make it. Two and a half million people are going to cross from this side to this side. How are they going to do it? They can't wait. Let me tell you something about the Jordan River. You may picture the Jordan River in your mind as this beautiful, luscious, green, flowing, majestic river. There are a couple of places... That it's pretty nice. Let me tell you what it's really like. It is a mud hole. When I went to Israel the first time, I decided I'm going to baptize in the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. And because I didn't know my locations, we stepped down into the Jordan River and I sunk literally to my waist. And I'm 6'4". And I sunk to my waist in mud. And we had to baptize in the reeds because otherwise some of the shorter people would be covered In mud. It is a dirty and it's thick. It's full of mud because there's no outlet in the Dead Sea. Two and a half million people have to cross over this impossible boundary. Look at verse five. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things. The amazing thing that God did was to dry up the riverbed so that it wasn't silty anymore. It was hard. And they could walk right across it from side to side. And two and a half million people walked across. They didn't wade through it. They walked across on dry ground. Now, that's their future. You're going to have battles, but you'll win. You're going to have impossible situations like the Jordan River. But God's going to do amazing things. What a mix that is. What a contrast. Battles, victories, impossibilities, amazing things, all at the same time. That's the future that Israel had in store for her. What can you expect in 88? This is what you can expect. All sorts of different things. It's not going to be smooth. There's going to be ups, downs, challenges, victories, impossible rivers to cross. God will do amazing things. You're going to have all of it together. It's not going to be one flat, smooth ground. By the way, we need all of those kinds of experiences. We need them. Now you and I think we don't need them. We think, I could do well without this hassle. Without this calamity. I want victory! Have you ever stopped to consider that the word victory means that there has been a battle that's been waged? How can you win or have victory unless you fought a battle? And if you don't see some kind of impossible situations, how will you be able to appreciate the amazing thing that comes out of it? You need them both. And God knows how to mix your future with good and bad and package it up and in His love send it to you and I. He knows how to do that and He will do it. If you and I could write our own future... And and you could document exactly what you want to happen in this next year. You'd probably erase the first part and you'd keep the second part. You'd erase conflicts and impossibilities and amazing things and victories. You'd say, yeah, I'm going to write that in. That's my future. Do you realize how boring that would be? I think it would be a bore. After a while, oh, I would be great for a while, but it would get to be really old. Have you ever gone on a vacation and traveled through some of the flat parts of the United States? And what do you do when you see a mountain? Wow, change in landscape. It's different. I don't plan to climb the mountain, but I see it. It's different. It's nice to have a variety of terrain instead of something all one level. And so God knows how to mix it. And he sends it to us. Now, we hate them. We don't like them when they come. We're on the top of a mountain and it looks so wonderful. And then we go down into a valley and we think, oh, Lord, please deliver me from this valley. Please get me out of this. And God says, fine, walk through the valley and I'll get you up to the next mountain. Oh, no, Lord, just beam me up to the next mountain peak. I don't want to go through the valley. Oh, no, but you must go through the valley to appreciate the mountains. There's going to be a variety of terrain. David said, yea, though I walk. Through the valley of the shadow of death. Not sit. Not collapse in the valley. Not die in the valley the shadow of death. Nor did he say, Yea, though I confess away my negative valleys. <laughs> he says, I'm walking through the valley. It's a valley of the shadow of death. But I'm not going to fear because the Lord is with me. That's what you're going to expect this year. Good times, bad times, valleys, mountains, battles, victories, impossibilities, amazing things. Look at verse five again. Joshua says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Look at the next two words. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Verse nine. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord, your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. That's what I want to focus on. You can experience ups and downs, but in the midst of all of them, you can experience if you are attached to God. You can experience, you can expect His presence. He'll be with you. See, we face a future that is unknowable. But we have a God who is knowable. We know God. The future is unknown. God knows it and we know God and that's enough. Like the saying goes, we do not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. That makes all the difference in the world. Our future is unknowable. God is knowable. The reason, folks, that there's this mix of good and bad in our lives that God sends our way, is so that we can experience His presence in good and bad so that we will have a total dependence upon Him. That's the goal. A total dependence upon God. And so He mixes victories with battles and amazing things with impossibilities so that we can experience Him and have a total devotion. Now that is why sometimes God will pull out the rug from underneath you. Just when you think, it's great, it's stable, I like it here. Because it's easy to trust God when you get a raise. But when you walk into the job and your boss says, here's your last paycheck, I'm sorry, we can't use you any longer. Ouch. God, why? Maybe God wants you to have a better job. See, before you weren't looking for a better job, now you are. God arranges tomorrow. The question is, is Skip ready for the future? Are you ready for the future? I don't mean ready in the sense that it's not going to take you off guard when something happens. But are you prepared for it? How do you get prepared? Look again at verse 5. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. King James says, Sanctify. It should be translated, consecrate. That's how you're prepared. Dedicate yourself to the Lord. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. That's okay. Consecrate yourself to the Lord, and you're going to be ready. It's going to take you off guard, some of those things. It doesn't mean when they happen, you go, ah, que sera, sera. But you'll know you'll have a something solid, a refuge, a shelter. What a command for a general to give his people. Okay, tomorrow we're going to cross over the Jordan. There's going to be all sorts of people waiting for us to fight. Consecrate yourselves to God. You know, most generals would say, sharpen your swords, folks. Uh, Polish your shields. Let's get ready. But God is going to do amazing things. Not you folks. So you need to get spiritually prepared, not just militarily prepared. The first step is spiritual consecration, not military preparedness. Consecrate yourselves to God, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do great things. There was a doctor named Dr. Howard Kelly. And uh, he was supposed to be a famous surgeon, so I looked him up in Encyclopedia Britannica, and indeed he was. He was the first guy to use radiation in cancer treatment. He developed all sorts of tools for surgical procedures, and he was a Christian doctor. The night he graduated from medical school, He kept a diary the night he graduated from medical school before he went on to be a famous surgeon. Listen to what he wrote. I dedicate myself, my time, my capabilities, my ambition, everything to him. Blessed Lord, sanctify me to thy uses. Give me no worldly success which may not lead me nearer to my Savior. We talk about turning over a new leaf. You don't need a new leaf. You need a new root system. Because the leaf is going to wither either way. You need to be firmly consecrated and dedicated to the Lord. The future is unknown, but we can be prepared today. You know, I read that this next year, 1988, 100,000 Americans will attempt to kill themselves. 100,000 people will attempt suicide. That's because of those unforeseen, impossible rivers that are going to crop up. And they're not going to have any place to grab a hold of. When you come home and tell your wife that you lost your job, as the doctor looks into your eyes and he says, it's cancer. When you stare into a casket of someone you've loved, You need a refuge. You need something certain. You need to be prepared. Life's too short to live without priorities. I found a cartoon. I didn't find it. Excuse me. Someone put this on my desk. It's got a good story. Let me just describe it to you. There's two people standing in this cartoon. And they're dressed kind of funny. And they're holding up different items From the modern world, the guy holds up, he says, safari clothes that will never be near a jungle. These are the in vogue things. Now, she holds up something, she says, aerobic foot gear that will never set foot in an aerobics class. He holds up deep sea watch that will never get damp. She holds up keys to a four wheel drive vehicle that will never experience a hill. He holds up professional designer's magnifying drafting lamp that will never be in a room with an idea. She holds up stainless steel pasta vat that will never see a noodle or a group. He holds up architectural magazines we don't read filled with pictures of furniture we don't like. She holds up 10 function answering machine with anti-tap device for a telephone that never rings. He holds up a 27-time zone international clock in an understandable molded alloy briefcase that will never leave our zip code. She holds up financial strategy software keyed to a checkbook lost somewhere under a computer that no one knows how to work. Then they hold up a poster. And it says, Art poster from an exhibit we never went to of an artist we never heard of. Some of you can relate to that. And then the scene broadens, and they're standing in the midst of this pile, and he says, abstract materialism has arrived. And her response, we've moved past the things that we want and need and are buying those things that have nothing to do with our lives. We've moved past things we don't need or that we need, and we're buying these things that have nothing to do with our lives. What a commentary. That speaks of people who live life without priorities, without being consecrated to the Lord, doing things and buying things and living in a world that has really nothing to do with reality. Finally, well, let's look at verse uh, 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Look at verse 14. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carry the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing to the Sea of Arabah, the salt sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, this different, this crossing was different than what took place 40 years ago when mom and dad stood at the Red Sea in Egypt. Remember the Red Sea crossing? The Egyptians were behind him. Moses held out his rod and he said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. This Jordan River crossing is a crossing of faith, not of sight. God didn't say, Stand still. He said, Get in. This required more faith than the Red Sea who opened in front of them. God said, Get your feet wet. Can you imagine... Joshua, being the general, giving this order, what he must have thought and felt like as he told his men, "Okay, this is the plan. I want you to stand in the river and start walking as you get wet. God will open up the river. Oh, Lord, I hope I'm hearing from you. This seems stupid. Think of being a priest, having to do it. God was bringing the people into a brand new relationship, a relationship of faith, not by sight anymore, but a relationship of faith. And the first step was to step into the difficulty, not to run away from it, not to wait till it was nice and low and maybe at a different time of the year because it was flooding over, just to step in and walk across. And as you walk, watch God do it. A step of faith. No doubt the Lord will challenge our faith this year. He'll bring some of these things we talked about. He'll bring you to the water's edge. And He'll say, get in. Get your feet wet. Now, we would much rather go to a problem after it's dried up and say, oh, praise God. No problem. But you're going to face trials this year, problems this year, that God will say, step in. Get your feet wet. There was a pilot who was flying in his airplane. He was wanting to land in the airport. It was fogged in. He radio controlled the tower and the tower said, we'll put you on radar. We got you. We'll guide you in. We'll give you instructions. So he was on radar. He couldn't see a thing. As they're guiding him in, he all of a sudden remembered, knowing this airport, that there was a pole that was in the way of the flight path. And he'd known that other planes have crashed there before. So he radios the tower in panic and he says, There's a pole! I forgot! There's a pole! And he freaked out. And the radio tower said, Listen, you worry about the instructions. We'll worry about the obstructions. As you panic, that's what God says to you. Just obey. Just follow my instructions. Get in the water. I'll worry about the impossibilities. Let's pray. Lord, as we look ahead to our future, we realize that it's not going to be all dried up before we get there. That there's going to be rivers that look like, oh, there's just no way. It's impossible. But we're dealing with you, Lord a specialist in impossible situations. Lord, you take our obstructions this year. We commit them to you in advance. Lord, our part is to consecrate ourselves and to follow instructions. Lord, I pray that in 1988 we would be more devoted to the owner's manual, the Bible. We'd follow instructions. We would be committed and consecrated to you and to your purposes. We don't know what it holds, Lord, but we know You. That's precious.